Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be in the house of the Lord together as God's people. Amen. You can say amen in one of two ways. You can, uh, mm mm-hmm, or you can just nod your head. Uh, But it is good to be with you. We know that God meets with us wherever we are, in our homes, in our workplaces, on the road. But it is such a gift, such a blessing to be together, even in such circumstance as God's people. So I want you to do something for me. Just take a peek to your left and right, and if you're in the front, to the back, and just with your eyes say, it's so good to be here. Can you just acknowledge it is good to be with one another? Thanks be to God. I want to read from God's Word this morning, but before we do so, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. My desire in these days is to draw closer to the Lord. My desire these days is to um, get rid of the things that seems to keep me from the simplicity and clarity with which I ought to live my life. And this morning, I invite you to open your hearts to hear the invitation that comes from God's Word for you. May this prayer be true for us all. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord, and when I'm done reading, you may be seated. Matthew chapter 16, reading from verse 13 through to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say? That I am. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, rock. And I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to start with a question, and you can't cheat. You have to answer this. You can do one of two things. If you're here with your cohort group, or you're, you, know, you can turn to somebody next to you and answer the question to them through your mask. Or if you're at home, you can take a pen and pad of paper and write the answer to the question. But who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Now, inevitably, there's some, you know, people who have been in the church for many years, and 
and they will give me a great theological answer right now. He is our Savior and Lord and Messiah. Amen? Just because you say that and it's biblical uh, doesn't mean it's bad. But perhaps for some of us, there's a, a more uh, personal way of thinking about Jesus. So I'm, I'm speaking so as to give you the opportunity to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus to you? Now hold that in mind. Keep that in mind. Think about the key words or the key phrases or the key thought that comes to your mind when you think about who Jesus is. And then I want you to answer the following question. Do my priorities, my choices, my decisions, my relationships, my spending, my lifestyle make my confession true? I think, now before you get nervous this morning, I can only stand here, Wally. But before you get nervous and think, oh, your stew is going to lay on the guilt real thick this morning. It's been a long five months. Uh, before you, 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 you make up your mind where the sermon goes, I, I just want to say a couple of things. I, I think that we confess the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through our worship and through our prayers, and we may even share that we believe in Him with others who don't know Him. But I think it's true for many of us, if not for all of us, that there are times where there is a gap between our confession and our lifestyle. There are times in which, however we frame who Jesus is, I think in some ways we're always being adequate, but I think if we're to be honest, there are times in which Jesus as Lord doesn't show up in more than words. There are times perhaps that we are tempted, and I include myself in this, to live as if the confession we make about Christ is not actually borne out in the way we live our lives. Uh, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And, and some have taken that to mean that me confessing Jesus is just simply what I say and how I feel. But Jesus would do what Paul is trying to do in that great treatment, that great letter to the Romans, is help people to live into what they have confessed with their mouths. In other words, in some ways, to be Christian is to consistently proclaim that Jesus is Lord and align one's life in accordance with that confession, that there is a, a way of thinking about our faith in which God is constantly through His Spirit, wanting to close the gap between that which we profess with our hearts, may even believe in our hearts, but how we live our life. So this morning, I, I want to speak about that. I, I want to speak about what it means to really know Jesus. And I want to speak about it in such a way that hopefully encourages you, whether you're sitting here or to the millions listening and watching online this morning. I want you to hear the hope that comes from Jesus. I, I want you to place yourself in the, in the position of the disciples and Peter. And I want you to see not, not the, the, the weakness we have, but the hope we have. I want you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
I want you to join me in standing under the word and remembering something that we all were taught, especially those of us who grew up in the church, that Jesus is indeed the answer. You see, because I think sometimes the gap occurs when we, 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 we replace Jesus with something less. I think sometimes the gap occurs when we, when we have turned towards our own ways of doing as opposed to submitting ourselves to his lordship. I think that sometimes the gap is big in our lives and sometimes it's closing. I pray this morning that this might be a means of grace to you, that what we profess with our mouths and indeed believe with our hearts may become more and more true of how I love my brother and sister and how I live my life. Thanks be to God. So what does it mean? Uh, there's a particular scripture here, and, and by the way, can I just say this? Uh, I was doing a whole bunch of research on Caesarea Philippi, and you know, like almost a whole page worth of research, and I was like, I shouldn't say that today, and, and it's such good stuff. It, it would impress you, it really would. Because, you know, when Jesus says things, it's, it's not just by happenstance, you know. There's something about him speaking and asking this question in Caesarea Philippi. And now I've enticed you, and I feel like I should go down the road, but I'm going to, I'm going to exercise some restraint. Sometimes the temptation your pastor has is to, is to try and teach you more about the Bible, and that's a good temptation. But there's times, especially like this, where I want to be concise that I have to kind of stick to what I think God really wants me to say. So I'm going to ask you to uh, allow me to do just that. I'm going to say some things that perhaps I would have liked to kind of contextually explain how I got there, but I'm going to trust that you can believe that I've done the necessary study to make the following points. And they're simple, but they're important. I want you to note that in verse 17, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Uh, here's the first thing I want to say. Any confession, any knowledge of who Jesus Christ is comes as a gift from God himself. I know that doesn't sound earth-shattering yet, but I want you to understand that the ability to know who Jesus is does not rest in me solely and in you solely. The ability to confess that Jesus is Lord, Messiah, that he is who he claims to be, is a gift that God gives us. It is something that we cannot get to on our own. And, and if you've often thought about how do we share who Jesus is with the world, have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to share with somebody that just this doesn't make sense? This sounds weird. This sounds like fantasy. This sounds exceptionally different to their experience. They cannot comprehend. Perhaps there's something about sharing the Word of God that is always done in humility with great dependence, that it is only God by His Spirit that can make true who Jesus is for anyone. Let me remind you that it is not the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, well-aversed in the Old Testament, neither is it these disciples who have been following Jesus and have been watching Him feed thousands, walk on water. They are not the ones who seems to, by their own knowledge of Scripture alone or history alone, or even in following Jesus, gets who He is until this very moment. And when they do, which is a turning point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus 
Jesus says this of Peter, who is representative of all these disciples. You didn't get here to this revelation on your own. The Father, my Father, has helped you to know what you know. And it is true for each person who sets you confesses Jesus as Lord. You know the language you use in the church sometimes is this. I have come to find Jesus. No, the biblical account says Jesus found you as he found me. That he is the one who is moving towards us. He is the one that is trying his best to close the gap between who we think he is and who he truly is. When you let him close again. Would you let him come close again? Would you allow him to become closer than you're comfortable with, closer than you will allow him to be? Will you allow? I was reading this morning a wonderful quote that says, we must allow Jesus to wash our feet. Some of us don't want a close Jesus because we don't want him to see who we truly are, but he wants to be more than just a, a, a kind of ethereal idea, more than just some kind of distant benevolent being. He, through Christ, wants to be the one who knows you and whom you know. Oh, come on, that's good preaching. Did anybody bring a, 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 a little sign? I need some help. There it is. The old Nazarene wave. I want you to pay attention to a few things. Jesus says of Peter that he's blessed. Now that word is laden with all fraught with all kinds of misunderstandings these days. You know, hashtag blessed. We seem to think blessing is something about getting stuff and, you know, being, uh, you know, somehow uh, more special than others. But this word, which is used in Jesus' first sermon in Matthew, is a, is a word that kind of conveys this idea, you're fortunate to be in the position you are. In other words, when Jesus says to Peter, who confessed him as the Messiah and the Son of the living God, he is saying, you are fortunate to be here because my Father has revealed things to you about me. You know the word reveal that is used here is the same word apocalypse in Greek. It is the same word that is translated as the book of Revelation. You know what that word means? It means unveiling. Here's what Jesus is saying. God has pulled back what you could not pull back so that you can make this connection today. God has done something that no one else can do. He has pulled back the veil so that you may be able to see who Jesus is. So that you may be able to make this confession. That you may be able to understand that he's more than just a prophet. He's more than just a good teacher morally. He's more than just another way to God. It is God who, who pulls back in our lives and allows us to see this, to believe this, to experience this. I don't know if you, if you feel what I feel, but there's a part of me that cannot preach this with any greater clarity than to say to you, God wants to help us all to know who Jesus is. To really know him. Do, do you know that, 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 that Peter, 
makes this profound confession. And in just a few verses later, when Jesus explains to him what he had just confessed, Peter says, no way. That is not you. (laughs) Jesus says, look, here's the Messiah I am. I got to go to the cross. And Peter says, no, no, no. And I'm going to preach on this next week, so I'm going to just kind of hold myself back. But Peter says, that's not the Messiah I confessed. (laughs) That's not what I meant when I said you're the son of the living God. We, we, We understand that sometimes people can be brought into an understanding of Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, but then desire for Jesus to be the kind of Lord and the kind of Messiah that they feel he needs to be. It's certainly true of of Israel's hopes and expectations. It is certainly true historically that we have often done this. We have tried to fit Jesus into the paradigm that works for my life. We don't want a Messiah without suffering, says Peter, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There is a sense in which the confession we may have is a confession that is derived from what we hope as opposed to who Jesus is. But here is the wonderful good news. I'm getting excited. The good news is this, that Jesus still chooses people like Peter and you and me to be a part of his great work in this world. It is as if Jesus in this text is saying, I know you know, but you don't really know, and I will still choose you because it is on me that all of this rests. Woo! I I don't know. Um, An example out of my own life, I guess, is that You know, as my children are getting older, they're also getting smarter. This is a good parallel thing to happen in one's life. Just because you get older doesn't mean you get wiser. But by the grace of God, we do. I understand that as I look at my children, they are beginning to show me areas of expertise and knowledge that I have no insight or understanding. I I recognize how humbling it is to be taught things that you thought you knew more of when somebody else, in fact, knows more of it than you. I think there's a I think there's a humility that should define Christianity these days and is sorely absent. There's a there's an assuredness with which Christians seem to embrace their lives that borders on a pride that is rooted in this idea that that because I have found Jesus, I know. But I want to say to you, my friends, the posture of Christians who Jesus has found ought to always be one of humility and gratitude. Because our confessions is not ultimately what saves us. It is Christ alone. Are you not glad? No, 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 no. Let me back up because some of you are having the theological kind of cogs jam up. You're saying, Stu, does my confession not matter? Oh, it does. Absolutely. But your confession, my confession, is only possible because the one who came in Christ made it possible. 
And, 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 and I'm glad that it's not all about how much I know about Jesus that makes him choose me because I'd be in trouble and so would many of us here. You see, minding the gap, closing the gap between what we confess and how we live begins with recognizing that the only reason we can even acknowledge Jesus is because we know that God, by His Spirit, has made Him known to us. But Jesus chooses even Peter. Uh, Verse 16, very interesting. uh, Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is impressed and answers, Blessed are you, son, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then get this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and what the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Ah, this particular scripture has been interpreted in different ways. Since the Protestant Reformation about 500 years ago, Protestants interpreted this text in a non-Roman Catholic way. Roman Catholics interpret this to mean this is the beginning of papacy, of the poet, the, po- the Pope as we know it. Uh, Peter was the first Pope because Jesus said, upon him we will build the church. And Protestants says that can't be true. It has to be upon the confession that Jesus uh, sees in Peter. Peter says that he is the Messiah and that's the way that God through Jesus builds the church. And I want to say this to you, uh, neither one of those are necessarily uh, purely right. Because we know, biblically speaking, that, that Peter played a foundational role in the starting of the early church. We know that Peter was significant. Do you, do you remember you know, being filled by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and he's preaching that led thousands to come to know Jesus Christ? We know historically that when Jesus says, upon you I will build my church, he is certainly meaning Peter as well. He's not dismissing this man, and I think that is incredible great hope, but he's not meaning that only through Peter, and neither is he meaning that only through people like Peter successively. He's saying this, I choose even those whose confession at times may reveal truth, but they don't fully yet get it to be a part of the work that I've called them to do. And i got to say, that brings me and you great hope. Doesn't it? You are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Oh, God chooses ordinary human beings to do great things in his name. And I got to say this, this is not in my notes, free of charge. And the gates of Hades will not. Oh, will not prevail. Oh, because the one on whom we depend is ultimately not Peter, but the one whom Peter confesses. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as the foundation, not only for your life and my life, but for all of life? Do you know him as the foundation that upholds the church of Christ? There are many people today who are afraid that the church is going to go away because of the pandemic. A brief history lesson will teach us that the world has faced pandemics and wars and crises, some of which makes the pandemic seem like a walk in the park, which it isn't for us. 
And yet the church has prevailed, not just because of the faithfulness of God's people, but because of the faithfulness of the one that we declare as Lord and Savior of all men. The church is built upon a foundation that is unshakable. When we get this wrong, when we think it is just Peter or us, we miss what Jesus is saying. For he is that cornerstone that holds all things together. I have to ask you, church, this morning, do you know him? Because if you do know him, like I am saying to you, I know him, when the clouds and the storms come, and they come to us all, There's a plexiglass between us, but I'm going to pretend that all barriers between us are broken down so that you can see your pastor's humanity. I face storms. I face challenges. I find myself at places like the disciples in that boat saying, Jesus, if it is you, help me now. There are moments where I do not first confess that I believe in the Lord who walks on waters, but I have to say this to you. I find myself more and more finding rest, finding hope, finding faith, and finding peace, not in looking at anything else or anyone else, not in listening to the rhetoric of people on social media or following the latest trends on news, but I find it as I look into the Word of God and there see a faithfulness that is irrevocable, a commitment that will not go away, a Christ who from beginning to end has said, I am Emmanuel, I am with you until the end of this age. It is He that I place my hope in. It is He that is a firm foundation. And it is He that calls the church back to a faith that trusts in Him alone for our salvation, for our life, and for our hope today. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus was more than the crowd says He was. The Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. He was a prophet without a doubt, but he is so much more. And he is so much more to you and me. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I I, I want you to, to hear me say it as one who have come to believe this in his own following of Jesus. And as one who is going to have to come back to this confession again and again and again. And as the worship team comes and we prepare to participate in the sacrament of Holy Communion, I I encourage you to recognize the sufficiency of Jesus for whatever you carry. Ah, he is enough. He is more than you and I need. He cares about our needs, certainly does. He, he loves you and he loves me. But he is also the one who's come to restore a wounded world. When we place our individual concerns and our burdens and our cares into the one 
who is called Saviour and Lord. We can have confidence. We can have peace. We can have assurance. You're blessed this morning. I'm blessed this morning. We, we are all blessed because we are following this one who makes himself known to us all. He is sufficient and he is more than enough. The physical elements uh, that we hold before us today are, are symbols of the flesh and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In some ways, they are examples of the pain and the suffering that he endured on our behalf. But this sacrament proclaims this, that why he died, he has risen, and he is coming again. We do not only remember his death and resurrection, but we also look forward in hope to that great glorious supper of the Lamb in his kingdom when he brings all things together for good. The table of the future will be a joyous celebration that will come when the Lord gathers all of his people together someday. But today, as we prepare to receive these elements, I invite you to be nourished and filled. It's kind of ironic how simple and small these are. And that yet, it represents the very fullness of God to satisfy every need, every hope, to calm every fear, and to bring hope. The Apostle Paul said that we ought to, as he instructed the church, participate together in the sacrament. For I received from the Lord, he says, what I pass on to you. That on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, this morning, a simple act of eating a, a wafer and drinking some juice can be transformed by your spirit into something that satisfies the longing of our souls. May we not eat and drink in irreverent ways with too little faith that you are enough. May we not eat and drink from this table today in ways that limits who you are and who you can be and want to be. But may we take these elements in faith, believing that they show us the one who gives himself completely so that we may have life in him.
In Jesus Christ, we pray. Would you take the bread and the cup and give God thanks now?